Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Anytime we hear this parable of these two men praying in the temple, we can look at many aspects of that, but this morning we see that both of these men, they have something in common. They both have faith. So that's the end of it, right? Have faith, everybody, and all is good. No. Jesus teaches us the difference between a faith that justifies, a faith that saves, versus a faith that condemns. He shows us that it actually matters what these men believe. As he tells us, one went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, it would be easy for us just to simply reduce this all down to something like an Aesop's fable, a moral of the story. Don't think too highly of yourself. And to be sure, there's a part of that, but it's not the matter of self-loathing or just simply putting others first. Saving faith is all about the object of that faith. Saving faith, Christian faith, is the knowledge, assent, and trust placed in Christ. It receives him, it holds fast to him, and has his benefits. It looks outside of ourselves to Jesus as the one who has atoned for your sin. It clings to the promises of God. And we see this all the way back in the Garden of Eden. After the fall into sin, God spoke to Adam and Eve in what is called the the Proto-Evangelium, or the first gospel. It's Genesis 3.15, and God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, there are some striking things, then, in these words that God spoke to his creatures after they had sinned against him. There's a clear message of what God would do, and also the means by which he would do it. He would overcome sin through the seed of a woman. Now, immediately then, what comes to mind is it's something that sticks out because women don't have seed. The Greek term for, for seed in the Greek Old Testament is the word sperma. That belongs to men. So then the seed of this woman of her own would be the one who would bruise the head of the serpent by being bruised or crushed himself. So that was what was spoken first to Adam and Eve after they had sinned. Now, throughout the Old Testament, then, more and more would be revealed about this. But after the fall into sin... God showed compassion. He showed mercy to them by promising them he would bring about their redemption. But it would also come at a cost. Bruising the the heel of God. Now fast forward then, not much farther, to our Old Testament reading today. And we hear, now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And the fascinating thing about here and where our Old Testament reading picks up is how this is written. I've mentioned it before, but it's always a a thing to think about that another way it can be translated is, I have gotten a man, Yahweh. So interestingly, this is how Martin Luther thought this verse should be translated and brought this up. So the point in that is that after hearing then this first gospel, and now then, who's the first child born to Adam and Eve? Cain. So what did she naturally think? Here's God in the flesh. God promised it. Why wouldn't God give this to us right now? Because she had something. She had faith in those promises that God had spoken to them in Genesis 3.15. 
Her faith was directed to God by trusting what he said. Now, obviously, Cain was not the Lord. He was far from it, killing his own brother. And so the wonderful thing, then, why this Old Testament reading is appointed for this Sunday of the church year, when we see this parable spoken by Jesus, here Eve is an example of faith to us. She has the knowledge, assent, and trust in the Lord. She believes by God's grace what her Lord spoke to her and to her husband. And so that's something for us to imitate. Hear God's word and trust what he says to you. Don't have a dead, meaningless faith, which wants faith to be obscure, which wants faith to be subject to yourself, which wants faith to be for faith's sake. It matters what you believe, and even how you believe it. So the temptation for us is to simply have faith. It's to be like the Pharisee in the reading. Now, it happens in different ways, but they're all roads lead back to ourselves. And we may think we're immune to this, but we are to be on guard as the devil, the world, and even our own fallen flesh will look for and seize any opportunity it can to thrust Christ aside, to thrust his righteousness aside, and then enter us into the picture in some way, shape, or fashion. It will try to get us to be secure in our own faith for faith's sake. They will, it will try to put faith into our own hands, our own decisions. Or when confronted with our sin, we'll just throw up our hands, well, well, I have faith, right? It will try to rationalize these things that think that our faith can somehow trump God's word. Or that we can somehow have faith apart from his word so long as we pray, so long as we talk about Jesus like he's our friend and our buddy who watches the football game with us, who gets us through tough times, or we have nice little slogans in our house. Or maybe it's a false humility that likes to arise that says, well, you know, I'm not perfect. All the while, we think deep down, so long as we're just nice to people, so long as we just try to lead a good life and try to help out where we can, everything will be okay in the end. But the old Adam is something. He's a Pharisee in so many ways. But the new Adam, the Christian who God has created, is not. So Lord, have mercy upon me. That's the cry and the confession of your faith. Now, more often than not in the gospel readings, when we hear this cry for Lord, have mercy, it's where we get the word, no, Kyrie from. Lord is a word for Kyrie and eleison. Lord, have mercy. Kyrie eleison. But in this reading for today, it's different. It's a different instance. Literally what this man is saying is, Lord, atone for me. It's the word for the atonement. So that's an important thing, then, as we think about this in terms of our faith and what God is teaching us, how we understand who we are as Christians in this world. So we know the Lord and who he is because he has had mercy on us in Christ. He's shown us compassion. But how he has done this is that he's atoned for our sin by his death. Abel's blood cried to God from the ground. Sin requires that blood be shed. In order for God to have mercy on you, blood must be shed. There must be an atonement for sin. And that's where Christ comes in. So separate yourself from the seriousness of sin. Separate yourself from the just punishment against it. Separate yourself from the death of Christ. And you have an empty faith. No justifying faith. Because everything comes back to and rests on Christ and his work alone. The faith that you have clings to it and is secure in these promises that God gives you as you receive his word and sacraments. 
And that's the wonderful thing to behold your God, to cry out to him, Lord, atone for my sin, atone for me. Make things right with yourself by you being the righteous one. He's your source in this life. You know, there's a lot that go, is going around in the church today that wants to attack the atonement. We don't like to have to think about that our sin, those things that we even just think about, are inclined to do, require that something must die for it. And it's either you or it's Christ. And that's why faith looks to Christ. And it's something that we don't like to think about those things, but it's by the grace of God, then, that he's done this. And how great is his compassion? That hymn's wonderful we just sang. So even by the grace of God, then, even by his mercy and his compassion, do you even have faith and believe the gospel? So anyone can have a faith like the Pharisee. God, however, is the one who has given you this faith in Christ by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. Yesterday, we were in Costco with the Lingards. So we were in Costco with the Lingards. It was a Labor Day weekend, and it was a Saturday, and we survived. And Pastor Lingard came up to me, and he saw this shirt that somebody said, I trust in science, and it had, like, American Atheist Association, and it had um, somebody stomping on the cross. So he, we were, had this, you know, thing about it, and he was all up in a tizzy. Well, we were in Costco in Coralville near Iowa City, right? So that should not surprise us, both of those things. We all trust in something. The Pharisee has faith. But thanks be to God that God has given us faith in himself that receives Jesus and his benefits through his means of grace. So it's a wonderful Sunday as we hear these parable, this parable of these two men. And we see how great God's compassion is towards you. Because you know your sin. You know the depth of degradation you have and are in its terror. And if you don't know it, God's law reveals it to you. And no one who takes his sin lightly can know this. To see no need for repentance or think God isn't serious when he tells us what will happen if we continue in our sin is to live a life outside of God's mercy in Christ. That's a life of unbelief. Look at when even uh, Cain saw God's mercy. It was after he knew and thought that everyone was going to kill him and God said, not so. I'm going to put a mark on you. A criminal about to die and sees his fate before him knows what's ahead. And only with that word of pardon, only with that word of uh, forgiveness, is there true freedom. And do you truly know what it means to be free? And you know all of that as you behold Christ, as you see him crucified for you. You know your sin, you know what it deserves, and you see him as your redeemer, your substitute, the propitiation for your sin. And that's Jesus. That's your Lord. It's what St. Paul preaches to you in the words of the epistle reading today. He admonishes and comforts you when God wrote through him, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he goes on to confess this faith himself, which is similar to the tax collector in the gospel reading. Now, granted, he's also talking about his apostleship. But St. Paul says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he, he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder, though in, harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. By the grace of God, you are what you are. And what you are is what God says. You are his own. And so mercy through the atonement of Christ is indeed shown toward you as sinner. In that collect of the day we prayed a few minutes ago, almighty and everlasting God, always more ready to hear than we to pray and to give more than either we desire or deserve, pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving those things of which our conscience is afraid and giving us those good things that we are not worthy to ask, except through the merits and mediation of Christ our Lord. That's quite the confession of what you now have because of Christ. That God would even hear and answer your prayers, let alone answer them as all on account of his grace and mercy through the merits and mediation of Christ shedding his blood for you. And so as you go through life, that's the confidence you have. That's what God sets before you today as he showers his mercy upon you. You have it all as you receive his gifts. So thanks be to God for his great compassion, for it truly is great. The Lord has had mercy on us so that we would be and are saved eternally. God speaks that word of your sin is forgiven. And cling to your baptism where your sin was washed away and where you are you given a new life in Christ. Kneel at this very altar and receive into your mouth the very body and blood of Christ given and shed for you, the same body that was crucified on the cross and rose victoriously from the grave. And through these means, you, like Eve, like St. Paul, like the tax collector, you have an answer to your prayer of, Lord, atone for me. Lord, have mercy upon me. Because God's heard you. He's done it in Christ. And he showers it down upon you even this very day here in this place. And so thanks be to God for your crucified and risen Lord. Amen.